Welcome to Season 2 of History, Books, and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino, and let's dive into the past. excited to be back with season two after a long break brought on by other obligations and the pandemic. Madeline Martin is swamped with other projects, so she won't be able to join us this season, but I think she'll be probably making a surprise guest appearance at some point, so you will get to hear her. Yay! This season, we'll be bringing you fun historical tidbits weekly, including guest authors and happy hours. On this week's episode, you're going to get both of us. We're going to talk about one of our favorite things, genealogy. But first, what are we drinking? Today I've chosen a bottle of True Myth Cabernet Sauvignon. It's from Paso Robles, California. I discovered this wine sometime last year. I can't remember when it was and I got it just because I love the butterflies on the bottle. It's more expensive than what I would typically buy for a bottle of wine, but I loved it. So now it is my special occasion wine and today's a true special occasion coming back for season two. It does have a small quote on the bottle that says adopt the pace of nature her secret is patience that's by ralph waldo emerson and i feel like this is a motto that i need to adopt because i'm not always the most patient person (laughs) i love it and that (laughs) label is really pretty it is I chose Six Cents, a Syrah from the Michael David Winery. It's one of my favorites. Um, in the past season, I mentioned how much I love the Freak Show wine, and the Six Cents is by the same place. And they're grown in California. I'm a label girl, so it's more interesting <laughs> than it catches the eye. This one totally got me because on the front, there's kind of a creepy hand that has an eyeball in the middle of the palm, and it's sort Ooh. of sitting on a bookshelf, right? That's creepy. And it's surrounded by all these books. So so I thought, hello, winner for today's episode. That oh, is creepy. creepy. And now yeah. you're going to have to make a picture of it because we I need will. to post that on our social media. I totally will. I totally will. Cheers. Cheers. And let's get started. Hello, listeners. This is Lori. And I'm here to tell you that podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. We use Buzzsprout. And it's hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. You'll get a great looking podcast website, detailed analytics, and more. Following the link in our show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. Get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. People have been keeping records of bloodlines since the beginning of time. Genealogy specifically is a study of family ancestors, including birth, marriage, and death dates. More in-depth studies on family history will have additional historical records as well. For example, newspaper articles, ship manifests, census information, pictures, etc. There are a number of places you can research your own genealogical, that's a difficult word to say sometimes, record. (laughs) The National Archives, the Library of Congress, 
Ancestry.com, The Census, The Ellis Island Foundation, MyHeritage, and FamilySearch.org. And there are tons more. A simple search will bring up a lot of them. Yes, for real. We've gone down the rabbit hole ourselves a number of times, and we thought we'd share five fun facts each that we've learned uh, during our own record searches. So first up, I'm going to share that I often use uh, genealogical records in research for books. And I know you have too, Lori. Um, I have. It's so much fun. And so... Um, I was able to actually find on um, the last book I was working on some addresses for people in London. And I had been curious about whether or not, first of all, they were in London at the same time and whether or not they lived near each other. And in fact, found out they actually lived on the same street um, in buildings that were right next to each no, other. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. So it ended up being perfect for me and my plot. Um, another thing I've used is ship manifests. Uh, for example, trying to find the name of a ship and if they were actually on it and dates that it sailed um, has been extremely helpful for me. That is Tag. so cool. <laughs> yes. Now it's your turn. All <laughs> right. So so my number one uh, here is the corny reason that I got into genealogy to begin with and dove into that rabbit hole. And it's kind of silly. Um, but it, I, I do write Scottish historical romance. Uh, Eliza writes historical uh, novels as well. But one day I was listening to the um, the song about Glencoe. Do you know what's what's the name of that song? Um, but it, it talks about the massacre at Glen, oh, Glencoe. Yes. That may even be the name of it. And for some reason, I just had that on repeat while I was doing research, and I was bawling. And I'm oh thinking, why is this touching me so much emotionally? And I eventually reached out and did the ancestry DNA and found out that I do have Scottish roots. So I feel justified. Oh yeah. Totally justified. I yeah. also now have like goosebumps thinking about that. How yeah. your DNA inside you, your ancestors were so upset about that. Oh, absolutely. And wait till I get to number five, but until <laughs> then it's your turn. Oh, Back. okay. So um, using genealogy uh, for my own family background, I found out um that my maternal side has me being related to Jane Seymour, who is the third wife of Henry VIII through her sister, Elizabeth Seymour, who happens to be my 16th great grandmother. Now, this is crazy because I've been obsessed with Tudor history since I was a young teen. I read the autobiography of Henry VIII when I was in high school, I think a freshman, possibly maybe even eighth grade. So I've just always been obsessed with it. And then when I wrote my two books, I actually wrote one about Jane Seymour. So um, finding out that she was actually like a, a super long time ago, great aunt of mine was really, really crazy. That is crazy. It, it It's just so in the DNA and you don't even yes. realize it. Seriously. So one of my favorite websites that I've discovered in uh, the genealogy rabbit hole is findagrave.com. Mm. So, um, I love that one. Yeah, it's got some really interesting things on there. If you're able to search up someone that you've been looking for, sometimes they'll have pictures of their tombstones on there. And a lot of times they will have the uh, siblings of the person you've looked up. They'll have the 
the parents and the children. So it's a great source if you find yourself stuck somewhere. And it's kind of oddly morbid that I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy <laughs> walking around old cemeteries. Oh, same. And <laughs> it's so funny. But that's one of the ways I've come up with names for people in books before. You know, you get a feel for what names were popular in a certain time period and something yeah. about being in the cemetery and seeing that those people were loved really gives you a feel for that name. And I totally agree. Plus, by saying their name, you're kind of keeping them alive a little bit <laughs> somewhere in the universe. Yes, I love um, that. Speaking of graves and cemeteries, this is totally off topic for a second, but I was recently in Boston doing research on a book at the university there, and I went on a historical tour that took us through this old cemetery where I think um, I've been there. Oh, have you? And it was so the thing that got me the most was that on the graves were all these different, um, not like crosses and things like that, but skulls. Mm -hmm. And they would have like little angel skulls like they were really creepy looking. Was this the cemetery where Mother Goose is buried? I think, I don't remember. It was right in the middle of the city. We may um, have to look that up. Yes, we will, we'll come back to that <laughs> on a future episode. But when you were talking about graves, I was like, oh, speaking of the last place I went, it was super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and um, also back on topic, but also talking about cemeteries. About two decades ago, I went on a trip to Ireland with my um, my parents and my siblings and we actually went to the town where our family's from. Uh, we're, we came to the United States, I guess, in the late 1800s. But we found the cemetery there and we were looking at all the graves of our ancestors. And it was funny because so many of their names matched the names of my like current people that are still alive. We just keep recycling the names. Oh, I love that. Isn't that we, crazy? We do that here in my family, too. Yeah, it's yeah. so fun. And also while we were there, because of the genealogical record, we were able to locate and meet some of our cousins um, that we'd never met before, but we were, you know, I don't know if it's second cousins or something like that, but some people had moved to the U.S. and some had stayed in Ireland. So that was really, really cool. That's very exciting. Yes. Very exciting. So my turn again. Yeah. I found out going back in uh, my records that I am a descendant of someone who fought in the American Revolution. Oh, wow. So that's really cool. But another interesting part about that is once you discover you have an ancestor that fought in the American Revolution, you're able to join DAR, which is Daughters of the American Revolution. They, they're an organization that's, um, I'm taking this directly from their website, uh, dedicated to promoting patriotism, preserving American history, and securing Americans' future through better education for children. So on their website, they have their own genealogical records. And I just, I thought that was really cool. And the best yeah. part about that for me is they're, they're headquartered out of Washington, D.C. They do have locations everywhere, but I live near Washington, D.C. And it was really exciting that my children's high school has their high school commencements in the Daughters of the American Revolution Constitution Hall, which is this really Ooh. cool building downtown yes. D.C. That's where I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> See, perks of living near D.C. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, okay. So another thing I learned, um, which is actually not learning anything at all, was that a lot of the lines of my family in the like family tree lines just went cold. Like there's absolutely no record of them as if they never existed. And 
you know, suddenly our family sprouted from like two generations ago versus, you know, they were had to have parents somewhere. And I found that to be really strange, but apparently it happens to a lot of people. You know, that I, I had that happen in a couple instances when I was going back to look for things. And I'll, I'll address this later, but I had a lot of help finding the next level on that because my family has been really into keeping records. Oh, that's so, awesome. So once some, you never know, once you find something and build on it, it could help keep the other records out there up to date. True. Yeah. So my number four thing that I've learned is DNA results change constantly. Oh my gosh. So true. I don't know <laughs> who out there has done the DNA testing, but every time I go onto ancestry.com, they're different. Um, you know, at, at one point I had some Norwegian in me and apparently yeah. now I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> so I think the more people who who do the DNA test, the better they're able to zone in and specify what areas you are from. And the bonus is every time I go back in, I'm more Scottish than I was before. So. <laughs> that is a nice perk. <laughs> yeah. When I first did mine, um, I was like half Irish. And then like the next time I went in, I was only like a quarter Irish, but half Scottish. And now, yeah. <laughs> now it's a little bit more even out, but mine keeps changing too. It's so weird. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm at my number five. And the thing that I have found to be the most exciting about digging through my family record is family scandals. So, and right. So I learned that someone way, way, way back on my mother's maternal side, we're talking like 1700s, I think it was, uh, was put into an asylum in Kentucky. And wow. Yeah. The weird thing is, I did not even know that our family ever lived in Kentucky. So that was kind of surprising. <laughs> well, that's why they don't live in Kentucky anymore. They got out of there. <laughs> exactly. They were like, Woo, run away from that lady. Um, and then on my father's side, I learned that one of our ancestors was arrested trying to escape um I think trying to escape the United States to go back home to Ireland uh, for seduction. He had seduced Ooh. a young girl and <laughs> <That's> scandalous. <laughs> They're all living on the edge here. Yeah. Wow. To be arrested. You, you know, you typically think the woman is the one or was the woman who would get in trouble for that. But right. Good. Good on them for getting the man. And <laughs> I wish I knew who it was. <laughs> All right, so my number five, the one I came back to is, in my research, I have discovered that I am a descendant of King Robert the Bruce of Scotland. <laughs> oh, your majesty. Are you yes. you're not? It's Princess Lori. <laughs> it is, and I almost wore my tiara today, but I, <laughs> I, I ran out of time to go up to my room and grab it. I'll imagine you in your tiara. You've got your headphones on. We can pretend that's your tiara. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk in a little bit about how results of what you're researching can change, but I have verified this one through several different links, so I'm pretty sure so this one is accurate. Yeah. See, you're At a least royal. I'm going to go with it. Go with it. I, I'm keeping mine. I, I'm yeah. not a royal. I'm just a lady, but I could be the lady in your court. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like it too. What Lori had just mentioned is that we do have a few words of caution when it comes to um, researching your genealogical record and your family history. The first is kind of goes back to my number four about 
lines kind of going free. And, and that is that the wealthier and more notorious a person was, the easier it is to follow their lineage. Um, in addition to if their family actually kept good records. Uh, family yeah. Bibles are really great for that, putting in the birth and death and marriage dates if you have a Bible. That's a great idea. Yeah. And those that were underprivileged or marginalized or led a simple drama-free life, they'll be harder to find. I guess they the will. Other- yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, don't believe everything you read. It helps to have multiple sources. And this I absolutely agree with. Um, on uh, FamilySearch.org, I, I found so much information. One of the things I've learned recently is that uh, I I know that the site is sponsored by the Mormon church. And I think they've been working on historical records for a really long time. But the way they have this site set up, it's a wiki site. And I had to do a little research on that. I didn't realize that Wikipedia is the the name wiki doesn't apply just to Wikipedia. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's wiki is apparently a site where different people are able to go and contribute. So the information on the site changes based on who's contributing to it. I see. And at one point when I was researching my dad's line, I went back up and found that one of my dad's um, ancestors was adopted by a Bailey, Mm. but he was technically born to a Wallace. And there were adoption records. I've seen them on Ancestry. Cannot find them on Family Search. But since I went in and found that, someone has gone in and said this is not the same Bailey who was adopted. And some of the dates don't align properly, which is, it's really sad because I was convinced that I was a descendant of um, William Wallace. (laughs) So Braveheart. (laughs) You're like, I've got it from both ends here. (laughs) Yeah, but... But now I might not be. So doing more research on that, I, you know, there's also debate. Uh, not, I'm, technically, it's John Wallace, not William Wallace. So it was oh, his brother. So I would be his, he would be my uncle. So cool. So <laughs> yeah. cool. If if my, my Bailey relative was actually adopted and really a Wallace, but I don't know if I'll ever truly figure that out. But it's definitely another thing to dig in and find. Yeah, for sure. I feel like when you have adoptions and things like that coming into play, everything gets a little bit more murky. Yeah. So um, the other thing to be wary of is spelling. A lot of times names back in the day were spelled however they sounded um, and could be documented in more ways than one. That is so true. And that's the case on my husband's family side. Uh, he, My husband is Jewish and a lot of his family came over through Ellis Island. This is true with my husband's family. They came over on, on boats to Ellis Island and a lot of the people checking in immigrants there couldn't understand the pronunciation of some of the names from foreign countries. And a lot of things were changed. Um, my yeah. husband has some relatives that were named Messenger, and that was either shortened to Messing, and some of them were not shortened. So he's got family members here that have different last names, even though they come from the same place. That's interesting. I had um, a great grandfather who came from Germany, and his last name was uh, Slater. And he came over in the early 1900s, so pre-World Wars. But he changed his name when he got here to Slater because either he changed it or whoever signed him in was like, this is easier to spell. 
You're a yeah. Slater now. <laughs> yes. And I've, I've also heard that, you know, sometimes they couldn't pronounce the last name. So they would just ask the person, what's your occupation? And sometimes yes. the, the occupation would end up being their last name. Yeah. I've heard that too. Like Baker mm-hmm. and, and uh, Taylor and things like that. Yes. So um, another thing is to remember that dates aren't hard and fast and some are totally approximate. I I definitely agree with this as well. And I have noticed, you know, sometimes when I go on and do research, especially on the familysearch.org, the dates will change a lot um, because, you know, different people have gone in and put other information. But I want to say right now that, you know, a lot of us are in charge of this. You know, we've we've got to stay on top of it. And while you can, take advantage of the family you have here. Find sure. their stories. Write them down. Share them on these places. Because there are other people that are looking for them. Other people that want to know they're connected to you, connected to your family. And, you know, it, it's just a great sense of community for everyone. I totally agree with this. My, I was really close with my great-grandmother before she passed away. Before she died... I took like a week and I went and I stayed with her and I asked her like all these interview questions so that I could pass them on to my family. And one of the things I discovered that even her children didn't know was that she had had a younger sibling who um, tragically fell out of a window when they were a toddler and passed away. Yeah, so sad. And so when I told my grandfather and my great aunt, they they were like, "Uh, no. And I was like, go ask her. She just told me that. You know, it is crazy the things that don't get passed on. Kenny's right. grandmother didn't know, or I can't remember. Ken is my husband. Didn't mm-hmm. um, didn't tell him until several years before she passed away that she had a sister as well that had died oh, when, wow. when she was young. But like, I, I'm lucky in my family. My my mom and my side of the family has really been into researching everything. And I know my my grandfather had a sister that died at 12 from appendicitis. Oh my goodness. So, Ouch. You know, my, and it's weird how some families talk about that and remember those things and other families try to not necessarily forget, but try to dwell on all the happy things yeah. when you really kind of need to record all of life's moments, the good and the bad. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in you have to go through the bad to experience the yeah. good or at and least to, to realize. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. The first time I used Instacart was with my sister. We were baking cookies and I'd forgotten the butter. Instacart to the rescue. Now I even use it when we're on vacation so our staples are delivered right to our door. Save yourself that trip to the market. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area to shop and deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Follow the link in our show notes, and that lets Instacart know we sent you and help support our show. Plus, you'll get free delivery on your first order over $35. There's multiple stores available in most areas. Shop all your favorites on a single order. The products you love from local stores. Hand-selected by shoppers based on your preferences. Delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. Find everything you usually buy and get smart suggestions for new items. They pick the freshest produce and keep your eggs safe too. Let Instacart shop for you. Now it's that time of the show where we share what we're reading. And this month I'm reading Cloud Cuckoo Land 
by Anthony Doerr. It's funny because I have it, I keep moving it from location to location. It's a giant <laughs> book. It's huge. And every time somebody walks by, they're like, what is that? Because it's got a weird name and uh, it does have a really cool picture on the front. But the reason I'm reading this particular book is because my neighborhood book club is reading it this month. And when I first picked it up, I just started reading it. I didn't read the blurb and I was so lost in the prologue that I went back and I read the blurb just to understand what I was getting into. And now that I have, I am really into this book. I I thought it was going to be torturous, but I am hooked. (laughs) So here's just a little blurb about it. In the 15th century, an orphan named Anna lives inside the formidable walls of Constantinople. She learns to read, and in this ancient city, famous for its libraries, she finds what might be the last copy of a centuries-old book, the story of Atheon, who longs to be turned into a bird so that he can fly to a utopian paradise in the sky. Outside the walls is Omir, a village boy, conscripted with his beloved oxen into the army that will lay siege to the city. His path and Anna's will cross. In the present day, in a library in Idaho, octogenarian Zeno rehearses children in a play adaptation of Atheon's story. Preserved against all odds through centuries, tucked among the library shelves is a bomb, planted by a troubled, idealistic teenager. Seymour. This is another siege. And in a not-so-distant future, on an interstellar ship, Argos, Constance is alone in a vault, copying on scraps of sacking the story of Atheon, told to her by her father. I know it sounds out there, but I am totally hooked. (laughs) Cloud Cuckoo Land. Cloud Cuckoo Land. (laughs) Recommend so far. I like it. What are you reading? So um, I am actually reading An Indiscreet Princess by Georgie Blaylock. And the cool thing about this just so happens I'm reading this at the same time that she is going to be a guest on our show. So yay! I uh, will tell you a little bit about this book. So there's a tag that I think is pretty brilliant. It says, before Princess Margaret, before Duchess Meghan, there was Princess Louise, a royal rebel. Mm. Yes. As the fourth daughter of Queen Victoria... Princess Louise's life is more a gilded prison than a fairy tale. Expected to sit quietly next to her mother, Louise vows to escape the stultifying royal court. Blessed with beauty and artistic talent, she convinces her mother to let her attend the National Art Training School, where she shockingly learns to sculpt nude models while falling passionately in love with famed sculptor Joseph Edgar Bohm. But even royal rebels must heed the call of duty, and for a princess, that means marriage. She agrees to a match with the Duke of Argyll. Hello, Scotland. Yeah. And (laughs) although her heart belongs to another, she is determined to act out her public role perfectly. But when a near-fatal accident forces Louise back under her mother's iron rule, she realizes she must choose. Give in to the grief of a lost love or find the strength to fight her unconventional life. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Yes. I can't wait. So far, it's really good. Yeah, I can't wait for our guest. We can talk about it. Yes, we can chat about that coming up soon. That's going to so, be awesome. So, Lori, what are, what are you going to share with us about a book of your own? So, today I'm going to share uh, just a little um, a little blurb about my book that won the Indie Author uh, Project for Virginia in all of adult Ooh. fiction. Congratulations. Thank you. And the name of that book is To Have a Highland Thief. So, that is... Um, 
It follows a band of brothers and sisters who who have come together on the streets of Aberdeen, Scotland to escape life on the streets. And this particular book is uh, about Flora, who is a pickpocket who steals from Isaac, the Earl of Dunbridge. He tracks Uh-oh. her down and they strike a deal. Ooh. She'll return what she took if he helps her evade danger by taking her to a house party in the country. But while she's learning to act like a lady... They're caught off guard by a burgeoning connection. Neither of them expected. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds awesome. Yep. It's like an enemies to lovers. I love that. Sparks fly in this one. Plus it's, um, sort of like a really unique premise with the pickpockets and the thieves and like kids off the streets. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me hear about your book. Alrighty. So uh, earlier this year, my historical biographical fiction, The Mayfair Bookshop, released. Which is amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's a dual narrative story about Nancy Mitford, who was one of the 1930s London hottest socialites. And she was also an author, but she is perhaps almost just as famous uh, as her writing as for her family. She is part of the scandalous Mitford sisters, one of whom was uh, the rumored lover of Hitler. Okay, what? (laughs) Another divorced a Guinness heir to marry the British Union of Fascist Leader. I'm sorry, excuse me? (laughs) Talk about family issues, right? (laughs) Another was a communist who emigrated to the United States. All right. And then the youngest of the whole brood decided to take a more aristocratic traditional route. And she married into um, a dukedom and became a duchess. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and then in the modern time period, we have an American book curator who is desperate for change. And she's also uh, trying to solve a mystery that her and her mother had started working on and just so happens to be um, working in a bookshop in London that was the same bookshop Nancy worked in during World War II. And I have to throw in there, there's a Scottish guy. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Super hot Scottish guy. <laughs> Super hot Scottish guy. <laughs> when in when in doubt, toss in the Scottish guy. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I've decided that I want to be known as a bright young thing too. <laughs> yes, I also want to be a bright young thing. <laughs> I love that. So for those who don't know, um, Eliza could obviously speak to this more than I could, but the the circles that Nancy ran around in, her people were referred to as bright young things. Yes. They were like all the aristocratic, like bohemian type people. They would just drink champagne while wearing costumes and running through the streets of London, just having a time of their lives, going from one house party to the next, playing pranks on people. They just basically had, like, they gave zero Fs, basically, to what was going on there. (laughs) I think it stems from uh, after uh, the Great War, World War I, um, after all of that uh, strife and and deprivation, they just went wild. Yeah. I think it's the strife of me adulting that I want to go wild again. (laughs) You know what? Same. (laughs) Let's do it. Bright Young Things Part 2. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode on genealogy. Coming up, we have my entertaining podcast on the Stone of Scone. We also have guest author Georgie Blaylock joining us in the coming weeks. And I am going to do a fun, scandalous episode on the Mitford Sisters. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at History BKS Wine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. 
Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers. And happy reading. Happy reading.